0: Alexander Heman is the author of The Question of Bruno and Nowhere Man, which is a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Born in Sarajevo, he visited Chicago in 1992, intending to stay for a matter of months. While he was there, Sarajevo came under siege, and he was unable to return home. Heman wrote his first story in English in 1995. He was awarded the Guggenheim Fellowship in 2003 and a genius grant that's $500,000, but 100000 a year, right? Before tax. Before, yeah, here it's not before tax. Here we don't get to pay tax on that. He should move, he should move to Canada.
1: With the best of Wednesday,
0: right? Like. Yeah. From the MacArthur Foundation in 2004, he lives in Chicago with his wife and daughter. Welcome to the bibliophile.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: We don't have to, to, to get into any kind of regular run-of-the-mill conversation about the story, see if it's it's not good for you. Whatever you want. Whatever I want? Okay. Well, I already told you what I wanted. I want want something that's going to be a defining moment in your career as a writer. (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) Let's start off with the the genesis of the book, uh, The Lazarus Project, which is your latest uh, novel. Was it born out of a rage that you wanted, to, an injustice that you wanted to see righted?
1: Well, I think it was sadness before rage or anger. I have plenty of anger, but anger is always just accumulated sadness. Sadness converted into, you know, an outgoing energy, um, all kind of energy. But I remember be, being angry when I read this book, and I always have a, a minimum amount of anger, never going below that. So. There was never any absence of anger. But what I remember though is feeling the sadness, the sadness of the pictures of Lazarus dead, sitting in a chair and a police captain behind him and the cruelty of that.
0: Yeah, I looked at I looked at that picture and I I I I'm amazed that he's dead. He doesn't look dead in that picture.
1: No, well one of the reasons there are two pictures and one of them because it was shot indoors. Um, it required long long exposition or exposure rather, mm-hmm. and um, so the people who move, their faces are smeared, so they look like those. Whereas he, because he couldn't move, he looks more present than they are. And of course, all the people right in the picture are there now, but there's this—he's more present. That's why he looks more alive. He's more present. he's doing that one? This face. Not this one. No, the other one is um, But still, even there, I my pet theory, among other things, is that in a picture with several people, you are more likely to look at the person with closed eyes. I'm not sure why that is. Because somehow they seem to have more interior. Even if the person has a, has a horizon closed, but they're dead. For those who have their eyes open, they they want to be seen and looked at and they want to they're know, trying to get your, to your attention to expose themselves to the view to the gate where those with closed eyes they they don't care they you know enclose in interiorities and that attracts uh, that attracts attention you think more so than I than think well it's, you know it's, it's untested theory I'd say
0: yeah but it obviously spoke to you because it was the yeah. photograph that really got you.
1: Yeah, but I, when I looked at the photograph, I knew he was dead, so you, I guess you mm-hmm. would always look at the dead person in a photo. Right. That's
0: why people rubberneck at an accident. Yeah,
1: yeah, you want to see the dead person. It's just fascinating. Right. Yeah. Life yeah,
0: death is boring. Yeah, that's just exciting.
1: Right. So there's something horrific in those photos. I mean, the, the police captain, he was showing the dead foreigner some sort of audience. Look, we killed him. Yeah, it's, like it's he's there. bragging. It's yeah. almost like a hunter. There's a website with a photo from the Chicago Daily News, and this is from the Chicago Daily News. They, the entire archive of the Chicago Daily News from 1904, I think, to 1936 or so, then it was put on, online. And I looked up and down this archive, and several times through, there are very few pictures of those people. But... There are, no, there are a few other pictures of dead people and those that they have in the archives. And I don't know how representative this is of the period. But those others are from the morgue and they t- tend to be pictures of victims. You know, a, 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 a murder victim on a slab in the morgue. So they were not showing them. They were showing them as corpses. Yeah. There are huh. only two or three of pictures like that. They, they're here, dressing you, him up, aren't they? Right, and they're showing him, look, in a foreigner. There was something about a contrast between the captains in White and the sex and uh, police captains, and then officers. Because around the same time, this had found in, in newspapers at the time, uh, they published on the front page one of the Chicago newspapers. Aladdin was his face, and it was clearly shot. It's his dead face. It's not his, you know, ID photo either. Like Talk
0: about disrespectful. Eh?
1: But they had numbers: nose number one, ears number two. Uh, chin number three cheeks number four forehead number five I think and each of those somehow showed his anarchist faculties. this was a time when phrenology was a science with eugenics was yes. a science and so they actually listed all these you know physical features which were
0: you out. do that in the novel too right yeah. I mean I didn't
1: show the picture of it in fact y- I, didn't it yeah. I didn't make it up I didn't make it up it's horrifying to see and so you know his jutted chin somehow showed his violent nature and Simeon ears they said Simeon yeah the Simeon ears showed his low intelligence something like that. Yeah, yeah there was a hierarchy of races and the anglo-saxons were on the top and then he went down and so south um or eastern european jews were not you know in the top three i,
0: I want to talk about the fact that the, the sadness you mentioned at the beginning of the uh the interview um there is a, a great sadness because this, this person, Lazarus Aberbach?
1: yeah. Aberbuch, yeah.
0: Aberbuch? he survived the pogroms and he comes to the United States, the land of opportunity, the land of the free, and within uh, not very long he survives months, the worst yeah. that you could possibly imagine, only to get shot for no good reason and yeah. have his dream and his sister's dream shattered and yet you are living the American dream
1: well yeah that's how you define dream, the, the dream their dream well
0: their dream is success and right. fulfillment you
1: can see it from the outside I'm certainly living a good life right now in many ways what to call out convert uh, a hard life into a good life but the trouble with the American dream is that they, the most successful immigrants are taken to be the model for all other immigrants you're talking about the Ellis Island generation, the, of the you know, turn of the century. I read somewhere, and I do not operate with facts and figures. Being, right, people, yeah. educated people who work their whole yeah. lives to reach a certain uh, status in life. And I don't mean class status, but they just. Well, like work. doctors, for example, yeah.
0: being taxi drivers. Right. right. Over here. Yeah.
1: And so they work for that and they own Crumble. But the whole network uh, that they belong to, friends, professional networks, whatever, would constitute them as people that crumble. So they are on the one hand happy in Canada. Nobody in my family got killed in the war. None of us got wounded. There was no there was no rape. There was no violence. Um, it's, it is, it's comfortable life. Nevertheless, there is this sense of loss, which you cannot think. It's not a calculated decision to feel this sense of loss. Mm-hmm. It's something that you feel, and it's there. It's there, like you know, like death is present right, And Death is present in everyone's life. Depends how much you think of it.
0: They, uh, obviously, you can't go back to, to that part of the world and it be, be the same. It no, but well, one of the
1: reasons you can't, might be have an apartment in well, Yeah. and my parents go there once a year and stay for a couple of months. What is shattered, and it's not just the network around my parents, it's the network that constituted them and their friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? The We've fabric shattered. of existence right. there. When they go back, the friends that they used to have, I'm not all there. Even my generation, which is far more adaptable, you know, we picked up the language and it could continue, or start uh, new careers. I was at a wedding in London a few years back. One of my best friends. Actually, the guy whose father was a hotel, grandfather was a hotel detective in Chicago. Went to his wedding. And there were people there, 25, 30 people, maybe five of them were my close friends. The rest of them were acquaintances. And I realized it was kind of an epiphany at the wedding. If these people lived in the same city, just these 25, 30, not my closest friends, nowhere near um, the entire, you know, treasury of my friends from before the war, just this minimal mass, the critical mass, 25, 30 people, if they lived in one city, Toronto, New Zealand, Sarajevo, Chicago, anywhere, I would live there.
0: Because it would be wonderful. It
1: it would be enough. Just this minimal amount, 25 people. I mean, you, you count your, you know. But you
0: don't even, have, I mean, you, you do. Yeah. We all count our friends, our good, for close friends on, on one hand, really true good friends.
1: Right. But even the good friends. My best friend lives in Montreal, the other one lives in London, and then there are others yeah, all over. But just the minimal amount, so you have some sort of social network, you know, a network of people that you don't have to explain yourself all over again from the beginning yeah. every time. They but know you're yourself, accepted. Right. It's not even accept it. You just don't have to explain yourself. Yeah. You don't have to reestablish your existence for the new person. That's fun and it's liberating. It's all well and nice and there's a certain um, pleasure in that and it's you know kind of a storytelling opportunity in itself. Yeah. But I really like to sit in a room full of people and say nothing and they know what I'm thinking. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. So there's no place for the us to go back... Being part of the village. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I call it it. A network. it's a fancy word, but I just, it implies, you know, the possibility of infinite expansion, but it's also located in a particular, or unlocated in a particular, you know, system, a coordinate system. This is where I'm, and there are these people around me who define me. And
0: Facebook just doesn't cut it. No,
1: Facebook. I have Facebook. Yeah, I do Facebook, but it's kind of depressing. Yeah.
0: Uh, speaking of uh, storytelling uh, you 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 talk about uh, it as being a way of well, a couple things a, a way of um, recapturing or uh, lost lost life or or paying due respect to lost life or in in the Lazarus project you um, you are doing justice by this man, I think. By Lazarus? Yeah. I think it, it, you're, you're making me feel for him and for his sister and his plight. So there's, there's a... What I want to get at is you're, you're making me feel as a reader that this is an injustice which ultimately could lead to a, a better country is that what I work with you here?
1: well I would not you know take that upon myself I think there's sort of a, if this ethical engagement is that I feel a need to tell stories about people who would otherwise be forgotten it does not restore them to life it does not restare, restore the respect that they may have deserved it does not restore the injustices or Redress the Index. It does, I suppose, some eccentric story um, in any way. But the alternative is silence, <coughs> you know, complete forgetfulness. The way the history operates, uh, particularly the official history, is that we get the big events, the big guys, whether they, good or bad, doesn't matter, longer, they can attack a country. If they're big enough to attack a country, they'll be in history. But people who die in that attack, they'll vanish from history. And that's, you know, the, the, the ultimate injustice of history, that in some ways, the evil people, they, they're they going to get an entry in an encyclopedia.
0: Well, they'll, they'll they, have the immortality.
1: Right, the greater the crime, the greater the entry. And then people who find themselves caught in those, you know, being a uh, part of that those great historical processes.
0: Cannon fodder.
1: Not just canon fodder, but also that, you know, on targets, if you wish. Mm-hmm. They forgot because they only talked about their numbers, and to yeah, you you can never tell the story of all of them, you know, at the same time.
0: But I mean, by telling the story of one, you can tell you can you can make a an impression on a lot of people.
1: Yeah, but I think just telling the story is an it's a it's a of ethical resistance because you telling the story it's not them
0: feeling it directly
1: no, but it's not the, the people who write this history. if they tell the story we're left out so just telling the story from this end
0: yeah, um, there's the great man theory of history and right. then there's the uh, Tolstoy talk about that I
1: think. Yeah, yeah, yeah so just telling a story of someone who would not have a story told otherwise, oh, please not as loudly is, is something that writers can do. We don't have to be a victim the subject of the story necessarily someone who got killed by the police but you know there's something about it. every life is significant it is those who have granted sort of projects that implicitly claim some lives are less significant than my life or the life of great men or the generals or whatever but to me every life is significant and one of the ways to assert that is to take a seemingly insignificant life and signify with it to make it significant again so you know and that, I, that to me is a challenge ethical challenge um, an ethical challenge in, in writing, writing fiction
0: but uh, what I love is the motivation I, I can feel that you had such motivation to do this uh, you you felt the uh, the outrage that uh, that his mother may have felt or, yeah. or his friends would have felt. I mean that sound, seems to me to be the fire that was lit underneath. This.
1: Well, when you re- when I read the old newspapers, <laughs> it was it was very little um, discord in the belief that he was an anarchist that he wanted to kill Shippey, I and mean, they just took it for granted. It all fit. Shippey said so. He had, you know, sim- And Miller just wrote it up, right? He had simonians, but all across the board. I only had one journalist and one newspaper, but all across there was many daily newspapers at the time. He had simonians shoot shot him. He was a foreigner, of course. If he wasn't an anarchist now, he would have been an anarchist because they all ended up. And, that, that and it's head. a good thing that
0: he was shot, right? Yeah,
1: but there was no doubt. No, there, you could be hard pressed. You would be hard pressed to find any kind of compassion. They had interest in in the um, his sister. Because there was tragedy, there was sort of soap opera in that, and she was not an anarchist, but they were. She was the other, uh, narratively speaking, but also, you know, racially speaking, and she was a woman, mm. so they could dwell over her as and you know parse her experience to some extent.
0: And the but Jews he, that were there, they wanted to sort of keep. The
1: well, there was there was different camp on Jews, on this assimilated as well. German Western European Jews. Educated, and then the Eastern European Jews who were coming from a different culture and also were more likely to carry anarchist or socialist or social democratic ideas. So it was suspicious for that reason.
0: One of the uh, wonderful things that you do, too, in the book is that I'm speaking with Alexander Hemon, but you go by Sasha.
1: I right. do. My students call me Sasha.
0: Okay. Where do you teach? In Chicago? In Chicago. Yeah. You're juxtaposing, but well, first of all, you're you're taking a historic, you're, you, it's historical fiction uh, along with autobiographical fiction. You're kind of flipping back and forth between the two of them, including yourself in, t- in the story, or someone who's a lot like you in the story. Why are you doing that?
1: Well, that's not how I would describe it, but um, <laughs> I can see why you're describing it. The autobiography means nothing to me. It's just, um, they, you know, I it's material um, the stuff that I make uh, literature from and similarly history it's you know it's it's a they all both of them belong to the well they're not parallels
0: they're not parallels to to make that remark
1: no of course no you're not not, I don't say that you're wrong it's not I don't see it that way I can't say that you're wrong I, I see why I say that it is that I, when I read this book, I don't see myself at all. Is what I'm saying. I see brick. If I still saw myself, I would have failed as a writer. And also, I don't see this as um, history. If you want to know about the true story of Lazarus, there are books, right. and I can give you the title. Well, wish
0: you read, uh, The Accidental... An Accidental
1: Anarchist, anarchist right. And yeah. you get the real story, I significantly change it, things. So, you know, I, it's not that I pretty up history or autobiography, and make it more palatable for the reader. It, to me, I don't see myself there. Or, uh, or, alternative, which is the same thing, I see myself in everything and everyone. So, I'm Brick, but I'm also Lazarus, and I'm Shippy and I'm Miller, and I'm Rora, and I'm Rambo, and all those people. Are just, I'm the furniture in the book, too. Everything. So, you're everything in the book, or you're nothing in the book. Which, in fact, is the same thing. So, I, I don't see myself there at all. I see why people would But you're Um,
0: juxtaposing past and present. I just wonder why why you're doing that.
1: Because one of the challenges of life today, and maybe it has always been the case, is to actually find a way to connect with the past organically, rather than through um, a selection of images, or myths, national myths, or history with a capital H.
0: Um, So you can talk about anarchists as if they're today's terrorists with... And, and make your make your points uh, historically
1: no it's more to establish a continuity mm. in human experience yeah and it, it's kind of virtual continuity that in some ways the life in 1908 wasn't that much different from life today it was different but also horizontally the well, power know, is very similar right but horizontally my life is different from many other people's life. but then it is the same this is you know, it, or it, not the same but very similar. So if uh, there are horizontal um similarities, they would you know, they will spread geographically to Chicago today or Chicago in the past and Sarajevo today. They're okay, not the there's a million Sarajevo, you know. Right? Yeah. Um, as there's a million in the United States right now, or there was not <laughs> You know. So to to Establish or try to establish continuities in human experience rather than force it on the one hand, historically. That I know nothing about the way or that would mean saying this I don't know anything about the way people lived in 1908 unless they were exactly like us, which is, you know, projection. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything how, about how people live elsewhere outside of my immediate realm experience unless they're exactly the same.
0: But are you, by juxtaposing the two of them, are you trying to say there are universal truths. There's there's human nature. There's there's the way we operate that doesn't change. And and this and I'm sure I'm proving this to you.
1: Hey, I would say that I, there are common experiences, and then we can learn from the way people in the past lived and people who live elsewhere lived. But there are also uh, important differences. That is, I cannot claim that my experience is like everyone else's. As you said, I have a much better life than Lazarus Sagittarius. For one thing, it's much, much longer already. And, yeah. you know, um, well, he died
0: in 1900. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So humanity is incredibly complicated. And yet we recognize it as a unit. You know, we should recognize things that we share. But we also recognize differences. And it's this dialectic that is.
0: But if, we, if we recognized more of the things we shared, maybe we wouldn't
1: kill each other. No, but people kill each other because they share things. In fact, and they don't want to share them. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> right. But, I was once at a conference in Norway, and there was an Israeli writer and a Palestinian writer. And in at the conference, the organizer was so excited, thinking that if you put an Israeli and a Palestinian together, they'll talk. Once they talk, they're going to resolve differences, find common ground, and they're going to. Um, you know, is going to be peace thereafter. But what the Israeli writer told them is that you have an entirely wrong concept. We know exactly what the other one thinks. There's no mystery at all. The problem is we want the same thing and we can't both have it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact they have had too much in common. They have less in common. You know, they would I mean this is the message of this little story. Yeah, they they don't have you you well. Right. They mm-hmm. they're the same, essentially yeah. they just have to sort themselves out and they have to take something away from the other for the for the difference to be established. So it's not, you know, it's actually recognizing the other as yourself that is o- often the problem. Or, or it's too simplistic to think that if we somehow talk more, we we'll resolve it. Yeah. The, the point
0: is they want the same thing right. and they're uh, going to have to break it and right. they're not going to get right. what they want.
1: And similarly, there, the Balkan Wars, right? Structurally, the n- Croatian and Serbian nationalism. They're identical there were these superficial differences but they and in the case of Bosnia they wanted the same thing they wanted chunks of Bosnia right
0: but isn't fiction partly tr- to try to get some empathy for the other person I mean isn't is this what you're trying to trying to do with your fiction is that idealistic or you it's
1: not idealistic I think it's an essence it's um, the essence of fiction is the ability of the reader and the assume the assumed ability of the reader to imagine someone else's life to yeah. feel it right to live yeah. it well, yeah, by through language, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's an imaginative operation, yeah. or the operation of imagination. But you have to be able to imagine someone else's life—not your life in the past, but someone else's life. What it would be like to live like someone else, or to, to
0: imagine what it's like to go through what Lazarus went through. Right. Yeah. And is this, so this is what you're uh, you're attempting to do in your fiction: is to Which one of the get me things? to get me to feel what I uh, what I do feel for Lazarus.
1: That's one of the many things. Yes. That I would like to. but if that were the only thing that would not be enough
0: no i mean it's you, you want complication you want uh yeah layers.
1: I, I want uh i experience life and the world as an exhilarating and terrifyingly complicated things or the world is and my life they're exhilarating to be and terrifyingly complicated things and that any kind of reduction falsifies an experience
0: are you trying to replicate your horror and uh, excitement at life
1: and, and put that into my head no i like to create it i don't put anything in the reader's head that's why i'm resisting this notion i don't really think of it that way it's not it's some it implies kind of manipulation and it's always halfway to propaganda of some sort the way i think about it is that i create a space in language that you as a reader can enter mm-hmm. and then we share the space and we share those experiences in language to some extent and within this space or because of this space you can communicate this is why we're talking about this thing now so again, how,
0: how do you do that then? You, you leave out enough for me to come go in and you, you just give me enough to get into Lazarus' position and then I fill in the rest what do you do to be as successful a novelist as you are?
1: well I don't know uh, one of the things I do is not to try to get into your head so you do half of the work and be have some agency in in the text so I I avoid explaining things or pushing you know the reader toward feeling what I want another thing is language is what we do I mean writers but also readers that's what it is I try to activate the language I mean it's not that's deactivated before that but when we communicate in conversation, it's you know it's functional, and then it's easy to get lazy. But if I activate the language, you might feel this agency in language and they respond to it. You,
0: you mean know? like when you say "severely miniskirted,"
1: right? I guess that would activate some things <laughs> in language <laughs> and in the reader. So the language is then essential. It's not. It, so it can't because of this. It can never be just descriptive. It actually has to. You know, you have to. The reader has to think about it. You have to stop and, for a moment, think. Yeah, about it's it. a tu-
0: As you say, it's a partnership which makes yeah. the, the novel a unique experience yeah. uh, for me uh, that I'm sharing because of you. Yeah. Um. I, I just wonder. If, uh, this is sort of a thing that I'm on right now, and that's trying to come up with an evaluative criteria for determining what's great
1: well good luck the moment you define it there will be a book that will shatter it well You'll exactly that's the thing, but I it. still
0: I t- don't you think that that uh, enterprise is important just in closing
1: I think it is important to talk about it yes yes I don't know if it could be definite there can be definite criteria
0: but, yeah there's not a right or a but wrong I, but I mean they're, they're
1: I think what my criteria is for,
0: um, how would you yeah how do you evaluate I will tell you
1: that it, the books that are great change the way you read them First, they, they teach you how to read, in a sense. Not in a condescending manner. But in some ways, you have to abandon your expectations and habits. And and this often results in, in resistance in the reader, many readers. And you have to find a new way to read. Um, to read. The the great books make you do that.
0: Okay, what does that mean?
1: Well, say, I don't know. You... you um. One of the great books, most recent great books is, to my mind, is Austerlitz, there are other great Sebald books. But for for you to keep reading them, you have to abandon um, certain expectations you have from a text. There are only nine paragraph breaks in the book, right? There are no um, descriptive passages in a classical sense. You know, the third-person objective narration, Right. right? Everything that is said in the book is said by a person. There's no impersonation. There's no impersonation. And so on and so on. And so you have to... You learn all this while you're reading. And you might grope for precedence. Every reader would learn that? I don't know. But those who stay in, they'll learn. A lot of them check out. This is why it's a risky. I checked
0: out Yeah, I checked out about 100 pages. Fair enough. Out. But I've been told to go back to the immigrants and start there. It doesn't matter.
1: They're all the same. I mean... Okay. Um,
0: but, but can we get... It's a fair
1: trade that is... A lot of readers have checked out. No, but no book gets all the readers. Some of the mm-hmm. readers are going to check out of every book. I checked out of the Vinci Code. After I you know, checked
0: out
1: after one page. I checked out the first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's fair enough. You know, yeah. nobody, not even the Bible, is read by all the Christians. Never mind everyone mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, in through and through.
0: But let's say I mean we want to. know you're pressed for time, so I want to understand this down, but. In terms of greatness and identifying greatness and putting some sort of criteria on that, otherwise everyone's opinion is equal and and the Da Vinci Code is the same as Austerlitz. Well, yeah. What makes Austerlitz so much better than the Da Vinci
1: Code? Well, first, it changes the way you read. It teaches you how to read a book. And how does it do that, though? Well, by, I don't know exactly, because it's not a universal criteria. It's book by book. And so so how,
0: did, how does it teach you how to read it itself?
1: You have to so. accept its propositions as you read it. If you don't, you check out as you did. The propositions that are inscribed in text, right? This is um, how the text operates, this is how the uh, writer or the narrator sees the world, this is what you have to abandon, so no character development, no scenes.
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, it's being a deal to be warned.
1: Right. Uh, that's one thing. And it changes the way you read exactly because once you Find a new way to read. Then you have to evaluate the way you read, or you were reading before that. So know?
0: when I go back to Austelitz and and read it, it, how how am I going to read it in a different way that's not going to
1: be boring for me? I don't know. It has to be individual. It doesn't. It teaches different uh, readers differently. It depends on your expectation. Okay. You know what you expect from the text, and if you check out, that's fair enough. And then because of this, I think it opens up, if you, if literature is this field of communication.
0: Sorry, you still haven't asked my, answered my question. I but I'm not under, sure I can. Huh? I don't understand what, how it teaches you to read itself. It's because you accept, you either like it or you don't like it, or you, something speaks to you or it doesn't speak to you.
1: Yes, but how do you know that it speaks to you until you finish the book? has to speak to you. There's, there's everything has to speak to you all the time. But
0: couldn't you say the same of the Da Vinci Code? You didn't finish the book.
1: True that, but I don't make that... I, 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 therefore, I do not pass the judgment of the Da Vinci Code. I don't know if it's a great book. But what I'm saying is that there's, for every book, there are readers to check out. For one page or a hundred pages. Okay. So no book gets all the readers. So great books do not get all the readers. Mm. They get some readers.
0: Well, they, but they stand the test of time, too. I mean, they done, do. And they get lots of readers... Over the the
1: decades and centuries. One of the symptoms of greatness, I think, is that the readers have to find new ways to approach it, because they stay in time, but then suddenly they change the meaning, but the world around them changes, and they still, and the world in them changes. They they still have to, they still speak, but we have to find new ways to listen to them. you You know, you press me for the definition. I don't necessarily need a definition my job is not evaluating them it's leading them and writing
0: yeah but it's also benefiting and pleasuring from getting pleasure from them. And
1: yeah good.
0: you listen to any critics which critics do you think are the, are the ones that uh, mean the most to you
1: well I don't follow all, all critics there are critics and there are reviewers and those are two different things yeah. reviewers it sums up some down and that to me as yeah, a matter of taste and some of them I agree with some of them I don't for a critic a critic has to Pars book make me see what I don't see of it.
0: So who uh, over the over the uh, yeah. over the last three or four hundred years?
1: <laughs>
0: oh wow! Does anyone stand out for you? In the
1: three, one well, the moment you asked me. I forgot the names of all the critics in the past three <laughs> or four hundred
0: years. Right, right. To help our listeners find a guide that, because it is about saving time. You know, there's so many books out there. You only want to go. I want to listen to someone whose advice you receive. You know, they
1: tend to be writers. I like reading Nabokov in Russian literature. That's brilliant. Um,
0: And he talks about the tingle on the back of the neck.
1: The aesthetic bliss, yeah. Mm. I've I've read Auden on Shakespeare, which is beautiful. I suppose I really like T.S. Eliot, the old critic. I mean, his stuff from the teens and the 20s. But I can see how it's revolutionary. And depends. I liked um, reading James Wood, not necessarily because I agree with his aesthetics, but Well, because he because he really appreciates closely.
0: your work too, I should say. Well I,
1: right. yeah, it does, but that I liked it before he appreciated my work. Because he uh, is a very he's very very close reading. And then there's a, a person in who used to be my teacher. He also writes on poetry occasionally and he um, I've never met anyone who likes or loves literature more, than poetry. Or I like about James so Wood, apart from everything. I disagree with him on anything. And some of the books he likes, it, it just, I just am indifferent to them entirely. But he actually loves it.
0: This isn't a job, it's, uh, right, it's his life, it's a passion. Yeah.
1: It's sort of um, passion, yeah, that's the word. It's passion, which I like to And so. Their critics were good but they don't really have the passion so I don't care about it. I don't read, read that much criticism. I read it and when I read it I read it because I read it for the sake of passion not for the sake of evaluation it is the passion in that, that interests me now. And, yeah, that I, re- I read
0: it in hopes of finding something I can be passionate about right, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah me too well
0: thank you very much for thank your you time for your time
1: thank you Nigel
0: I've been talking with Sasha
1: Sasha yes
0: (laughs) Sasha Heman and his most recent book is The Lazarus Project and it is shortlisted for the National uh, Book Award so uh, so keeping my fingers crossed uh, because it's a wonderful book
1: thanks a lot